Blog Talk Radio. It's 8 p.m. in London, 3 o'clock in New York, 2 p.m. in Texas, and noon in Los Angeles. You're listening to Radio Stranahan. Lee Stranahan, thank you. It was a privilege for me to meet you last weekend. You're tuned into Radio Stranahan. And now, here's your presenter, Lee Stranahan. Good afternoon, everybody. Lee Stranahan, Radio Stranahan. It is Monday. You made it through the weekend. You're at the work day, at the work week, the beginning of the work week. You're not supposed to say that. See, that's why I got confused there. You're supposed to say on Friday, oh, you made it through the work week. You're ready for the weekend. My life doesn't really work that way. It's all kind of a jumbly mess. There's really no distinction between the work week and the weekend because I'm in the news business and it kind of was all one big slurry mess. How are you doing today? You look well. Listen to Radio Stranahan. Big week ahead, more guests. Hey, guess who's going to be near the inauguration? I can't say I'm going to be at the inauguration, but I will be near it. I'll be in proximity to it, so I'm pretty excited about that. I think the advantage of being in proximity to the inauguration and not actually at the inauguration is that you don't have to dress in a tuxedo. I think that's the main advantage. So I've got that going for me, which is nice. Today's guest will be Ann Corcoran from the site Refugee Watch. That's Refugee Resettlement Watch. Forgive me. I knew there was another word in there, but I wasn't looking at my notes. But I'm very familiar with her her website, Refugee Resettlement Watch. You should be familiar with it, too. Uh, Ann Corcoran, since 2007, has been writing about what she sees as the big mistake the country has made in taking on refugees, in particular Muslim refugees. She is hated by the SPLC. By the way, I seem to have a lot of friends who are hated by the Southern Poverty Law Center. I don't know what it is, but it seems like a lot of the people I like are hated and called haters by the SPLC. Huh, what do you know about that? Hey, did you see the new Breitbart story? I posted it on Twitter earlier. Breitbart News, the site that I am the lead investigative reporter for, Breitbart News is now the number 45th ranked website in the United States. That's number 45, as in Colt 45. Really doesn't have anything to do with that, but just a way to remember it. Number 45th ranked site overall in the United States. That makes them bigger than, oh, a lot of other websites. Number 45 is crazy, crazy big. And a lot of that has to do with before the election. I bet that number goes down. I'm not saying anything, except I bet the number goes down. It's going to, but I bet it's not going to drop the way the ratings on, let's say, a site like, oh, I don't know, The Blaze is. I'm just guessing that, just throwing that out there, just throwing that out there. Little message for Glenn. You back get here. nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. 
I never tire of Willy Wonka. I really don't. I really, I never, from my childhood watching Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory several times at the Dollar Theater near the X in Springfield, Massachusetts, where my mother would take me to see the film many, many times. It's just a good message. And, and once again, if you're Glenn Beck... You get nothing! You lose! That's right. Glenn Beck cite The Blaze. If you look at the ratings for Glenn Beck cite The Blaze, it will remind you perhaps of sledding as a child. It is a long hill. It is a long descent a descent into Glenn Beck's madness that is going on right there. So Breitbart's numbers went up. That may remind you of a a large hill that you have to climb, whereas Glenn Beck's, you're going downhill. And I think there's a reason for that, aside from the fact that Glenn Beck is dishonest, as I've highlighted many times. And I guess I will continue to highlight. I'm going to keep, keep hitting on Beck. In fact, maybe I should do more this week on the Shirley Sherrod story, telling you the truth about the Shirley Sherrod story. But not today. Today, most of the hour is going to be Ann Corcoran talking about Refugee Watch. We will have her coming up shortly. As usual, we will also be taking your phone calls. You're listening to Radio Stranahan. Call us. We're about 10, 15 minutes before Ann Corcoran comes on. If you want to talk about anything, you can call at 619-924-0786. That number again, 619-924-0786. Everybody was talking about, you know, I, I do my newsletter, the Stranahan Report. It comes to you every morning. It's on stranahan.com. You can sign up for it free. It gives you an overview of the news. By the way, I mentioned this in yesterday's edition, but I had someone contact me and tell me, that I was, I, my, the report was full of errors. And I responded and I said, no, it is not. And they said, well, no, this story was incorrect. And I said, well, no, my point is not to correct every story. My point is to do a newsletter that tells you what people are saying in the news. I really think this is the first step. If you want to understand the news, it helps to understand what people are saying in the news. Does that make sense? If you want to understand the news, it helps to understand what people are saying about it. And it helps to understand if you're on the right, what people on the left are saying. And if you're on the left, you should also understand what people on the right are saying. This is one of my big criticisms of the left right now is they clearly, the people in power in the media on the left, New York Times, Washington Post, and so on, they have no interest in what the right is trying to say or understand them. I have this unique ability to, apparently it's unique, to actually be able to, I could present both sides perfectly well. I know what the left thinks. This is why I don't agree with them, by the way. I know what the left thinks very, very well. I'm a former leftist. As you probably know from my resume, I used to write for the Huffington Post. I was frequently featured. I used to write for Daily Cause. I was frequently featured. In fact, my videos, Marcos, 
the head of Daily Cause, the guy who started it, the cause in Daily Cause, called my comedy videos the best political video of 2007. That's high praise from someone who eventually would help kick me off his site when I went against the establishment views there. But the people on the left right now, so I understand the left because I've been there, but the people on the left have no desire to understand people on the right. I was never trying to, I was on the left, but I was always honest. That's the difference between me and the current left. And plenty of my friends, Andrew Breitbart, Brandon Darby, Cassandra Fairbanks. These are people who are former leftists, David Horowitz, former leftists. So we understand the left. And by the way, nobody understands the left better than the people on the left. And nobody understands the left and why it's evil better than people who used to be on the left. We are well-versed in the basement that is the left. But part of that comes from understanding. And even people on the right, remember, understanding doesn't mean agreement. But I understand the left, and I understand where they're coming from. And I also understand where their heart is in the right place in some cases. I do understand that. And if you want to understand them, you should too. So I put this newsletter together called the Stranahan Report where I give you what NPR, the BBC, and Fox News are saying are the top stories. You see what they leave in, what they leave out. You see, for instance, the BBC covers a lot more foreign news than either NPR or the Fox News. And by covering that foreign news, the BBC sometimes gives you clues about what's happening. I'm trying to help you be a prognosticator. That's not dirty. It sounds it, but no, it's not. I'm trying to help you be a prognosticator and understand where the news is going. And that's why I do the Stranahan report. So someone contacted me and said, well, it's full of errors. And I said, ah, contraire. I said, it is not full of errors. And they suggested that I should do a different newsletter. And I disagree. The rest of my work is all about telling you what I think is right and what's wrong. But the way I try to make you smarter, as I do here, every single day, in the work that I do, whether it's tweeting something out, whether it's talking about stuff at Breitbart News, whether it is an article there, whether it is a blog talk radio show, whatever I'm doing, I'm trying to make you smarter by showing you how to make up your own mind and think for yourself better. This is what I'm trying to do. So if you just want somebody to tell you what to do, there are other people who can do that. But I believe that people want to be actually smarter on their own. And I believe that people are smarter. And I believe that part of the problem with the media is that they don't treat them like they're smarter. Coming up shortly with Ann Corcoran talking about the refugee situation. This will definitely make you smarter about that. We're going to get into a lot of detail with Ann. Right now, however, it is 11 minutes past the hour. Minutes, not minutes. It's 11 minutes past the hour. This is Lee Stranahan. You're listening to Radio Stranahan. By all first mention, uh, Lee Stranahan. Cuddly. He's my friend. 
Yeah, he got thrown out of the club. For reporting stories that were being suppressed. Radio Stranahan. Are you tired of the mainstream media and you want to make a difference? Do you read the newspapers or watch TV and think that you can do better? This is Lee Stranahan, and that's why I started Citizen Journalism School. You can check it out at citizenjournalismschool.com, and you'll see why I created a place where you can learn to research, write, promote the stories, make a difference, and make a living doing it. I'd like you to go over to citizenjournalismschool.com right now and sign up for a free course I've got for you. It's called Build Your Media Empire, and the course takes you step-by-step online through the things you need to do to set up the platforms so you can share your voice and your stories. I'll show you how to set up materials so you can do writing, podcasting, video. Best of all, it's absolutely free. Go to citizenjournalismschool.com and sign up right now. It's Lee Stranahan. You're listening to Radio Stranahan. And we're about to be joined by Ann Corcoran from Refugee Resettlement Watch, a great blog, something you should be reading if you're not. We're also here to take your calls throughout the hour if you want to talk to Ann, or if you have something before she comes on, number 619-924-0786. That number again, 619-924-0786. Joining us right now is Ann Corcoran. Let's just bring her on. Hey, Ann, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great, and I really appreciate you coming on. I've been trying, as people, people know, they've been listening to the show, and Anne, Anne knows this. We've been trying to get Anne on for a few days. We've been trying to fit into her hectic schedule, and I'm glad we're able to, I'm glad we're able to get you on today. Um, yeah, so yeah, we blockers are busy all day. Exactly right. We're very busy. And uh, I, of course, am wearing gym shorts right now because I work at home. That's how busy I am. I failed yeah, to put too. on long pants today. There you go. <laughs> so so you, let's talk about Anne has the great blog, Refugee Resettlement Watch. Uh, I mentioned uh, in the intro, you've been doing this since 2007, right? Right, right, right. Long time. So how did you, how did you come to start the, the blog, Refugee Resettlement Watch, which has really become a go-to resource for anybody interested in this issue i know you've been you were a pretty frequent guest on the breitbart morning show with steve bannon uh and uh steve i've talked to steve privately too and steve likes you a lot steve uh when right. i mentioned right. st- stories i was working on i was he was like yeah Anne's great so you be, you become really a leader in this area um and like you say you're just a blogger you're just a person so how did that happen well, I was just a person. Um, I live on a farm in Western Maryland, homeschooling my kids, and I've uh, taken care of retired horses that I had taken in from, from the police or therapeutic riding or from the military, just doing my thing. Um, I live in a rural Western Maryland county, and it's a red county. And in 2007, my friends, a couple of my girlfriends and I noticed that there were refugees arriving in town, and I just wanted to understand um, what was the uh, the governmental process? I had no problem with 
you know, foreigners coming. As a matter of fact, when my husband and I had adopted two Vietnamese children who were grown up and doing great. Um, so it's not like we had any issues with um, people not like us. Um, so, but I wanted to understand simply how, how this could happen. The Virginia Council of Churches, I, again, I live in Maryland, was bringing um, Russian Turkish Muslims to our county and dropping them off. I just wanted to know who said they could do this, who was paying for it. And I ran into this this massive program that's really run very secretively. It's not so secretive now because people are really interested in looking into it. But 10 years ago, it was very secretive. And that's what keeps me going and and, um, has kept me going all these years is I want to unravel this. I want to understand how this has come about. And um, I think citizens have a right to have some say as to what happens to their community. So I keep plugging away day after day. Now, I mentioned in the intro when I was talking about you at the beginning, I mentioned that it, it seems like you're one of the many friends that I have that the SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law Center, is not a big fan of. There's, they're not a big yeah. fan of my friend Steve Bannon or Frank Gaffney, or, and, and they have a whole page devoted to you and uh, what I, they call I your radicalization. <laughs> That's right. It, I can it's tell sort you, of a I, badge of I honor, isn't it? Thrilled. They don't, they don't understand. That's the kind of thing that keeps me going. When I was picked one of the 15 extreme anti-Muslim people in the country this year, I was just thrilled. I mean, especially to be in the company I was in. I mean, they had Ion Hersey Alley on there. Um, they had uh, a whole host of people, Frank Gaffney, others that were just, I was just blown away that I would be included in such a, you know, a a fabulous group of people. <laughs> it does make me feel like I should be working harder. I think I'm done. I'm doing something <laughs> wrong. Obviously, if I just write about them, I haven't made the list yet, and and so I wonder what I'm doing wrong. Now, I mean, what they peg you with is the same thing that they peg Bannon with or Gaffney. You're a racist, right? You're a, you're a xenophobe. That's mm-hmm. the way they peg mm-hmm. you. But as you mentioned, you adopted Vietnamese children and. If people look at this history of the refugee program, this is one thing that's come up when I've been writing about the situation in Twin Falls, Idaho, for instance. Uh, They like to jump in and say, oh, well, the refugee program isn't new. It's been around for 35 years. And if we go back, that's, you know, know, that is true. And one of the things that people, I think, my age, I'm in my early 50s, but one of the ways I think people first heard about the refugee program was with the like the boat people, right? The Vietnamese uh, and Cambodian refugees that I remember mm-hmm. back in the seventies and eighties, I guess, um, long time ago. Yeah, seventies. How was the refugee program? No, so, yeah, that's right. So you remember? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. That's what a lot of people uh, my age and older may remember. It relate to is yeah. the refugee. Yep. So is it is it different? The refugee yes, program now very is it different. different than it was then. Oh, absolutely. So because because we because Jimmy Carter signed the Refugee Act of 1980 into law. Ted Kennedy and Joe Biden were chief sponsors of it, and it changed the refugee program to turn it into what it is today. And the the most of the Vietnamese came and were individually cared for by churches who took them under took families under their wing. You know, one church, one family. Maybe they could do two families if they were really a big church, but. So the, the Vietnamese basically were were assimilated into American culture by people who 
took good care of them and made sure they had jobs and did their paperwork for them. But in 1980, all of that changed, and these nine major federal contractors, of course, it didn't start out at nine. I mean, different ones have dropped dropped out, and some have added in in 35 years. But there are not right now. There are nine federal contractors, and they are paid by the head to resettle refugees, and they're only responsible for them for three months. So. So they, there's no incentive to slow the flow because they're being paid by the head to place them in people's town, in, in various towns and cities. Um, and and again, three months later, their, their real, their major role is to get the refugees signed up for welfare, get the kids in school, presumably do their health screening, but that's not even happening, um, as you probably know from your, um, you know, your fellow writer there at Breitbart, um, Michael Leahy, um, and then. Um, uh, and and then they move on to to the next batch of literally paying customers, and that's what the big difference now, is. Now, when you talk about the groups behind this, anybody who looks into this a little bit is going to see uh, names like Lutheran Social Services, or uh, there's a, the Catholic group that that does refugee resettlement. So who US who are conference of who are the, yeah who who are these groups? Well. Um, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, and under them are Catholic charities working all over the country, Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service, Episcopal Migration Ministries, the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, World Relief, Church World Service, um, and then there's three secular ones. But those are the six that ostensibly are religious groups. But there's nothing – this isn't private charity. This isn't people passing the plate in church on Sunday – um, which is the way they want it to appear. So the public says, oh, isn't this lovely, this Church World Service Group, which is the one that came to my county, are, are doing all this. And they think that the money is coming because they collected a lot of money for, through Christian charity. It isn't so. It's federal money. The vast majority of it is federal money. And it's a multi-billion dollar program now. And I guess one of the driving forces, I should say, uh, for, for me in all of this, is I believe in communities have a right to have to know when the federal government has plans for their town. It's as simple as that. I mean, put all the cards out on the table. Everything here was going secretively until we basically dragged it out of them. And we don't have a program in this county any longer. The State Department shut it down in 2007. But, um, but yeah, so it's secretive. And citizens have a right to know. If Washington has plans for their community, we have a right to know. That's, it's, it's as simple as that. And so, Ann, I want to I want to get more into some of the basics of this, but we have a caller, so let's take that and see. Okay. Today is uh, something sure. to add here. Uh, area code three one two. What can we do for you today? Hi, three one two area code. You're uh, you're on. What can we do for you? Yeah, I was saying I'm just listening. Oh, okay, that's fine. Thanks very much. I'll put you back on hold. That's that's a way to listen. There you go. Someone someone's called in to listen. So. So, Anne, uh, let's let's. When you say this is a money-making venture, can you take us through, like, what are the dollars? When you say there's big money in this, what does that mean specifically? You're not saying that groups like Lutheran Social Services or the Catholic Charities are profiting off this, are you? No, I'm you a no. Here, <laughs> um, no, so, yeah, no. So, I'm not saying. I'm sorry. What? I'm no, not no, saying right they're profiting. Right I'm not saying they're profiting. Um, but the salaries of the CEOs are huge. 
I mean, probably the smallest um, CEO salary of one of these groups is 250000 The highest that we know of so far is $500,000 a year for the CEO for the International Rescue Committee, who is actually a Brit, by the way. He's not even an American. Um, and so, so basically what they've done through this program is that they've built up an infrastructure. They have an office in the town where they're operating. They pay staff and so on and so forth. And it's not all the per head per refugee um, money that funds them. They also get huge numbers of grants from the Federal Office of Refugee Resettlement, which is in the Department of Health and Human Services. And the grants are things like have a community garden. They'll get a $70,000 federal grant for some little office in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where they where they build a few gardens for refugees to grow vegetables for $70,000 a year. So they're, they, it's basically paying staff. And then, to me, the most galling thing, and one of the things I wrote about this morning, is that, for example, Church World Service is going to be having refugees in Senator Sessions hearing tomorrow. Um, and and it's it's a they so they have lobbyists in Washington. And my question is, are we also paying lobbyist salaries so that they can lobby and and do this community organizing against us? That's the part that's so galling to me. All of these groups too, all of them got involved with the Gang of Eight bill a few years ago. So it's not just refugees; they actually lobbied on the illegal immigration issue. And are they doing that with their money? I think so. Well, yeah, and let's let's talk about that. There's a lot in there to unpack. Um, so let's talk about that that Gang of Eight bill. When the Gang of Eight bill came forward, that was a bill by a group of senators and Democrats and Republicans, including people like Chuck Schumer and Republican John McCain, who came together and in Marco order to Rubio. change Marco Rubio. That's right. Yeah, and 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 they came together to change the immigration law and effectively create. A path to citizenship was this was the big, uh, you know, comprehensive immigration reform bill we heard about. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I reported in the reporting I did up from Twin Falls, Idaho, late late last year, was that Hamdi Yulikaya, who's the CEO of Chobani Yogurt, and I took a lot of heat from this, not Ann Corcoran style heat. Uh, again, I didn't quite make the SPLC's list, but. Um, but I got a lot of heat for that. And one of the things they accused me of is I was doing racist reporting on this guy who's the head of Chobani Yogurt. And what I pointed out was he's an outspoken advocate of the refugee program, which is accurate. And he's deeply politically involved. And when they were trying to push the Gang of Eight bill, lo and behold, who was invited to the White House but Hamdi Yulikaya, the CEO of Chobani Yogurt. And he was part of the dog and pony shows. People have to remember when they were pushing this immigration reform bill that they were doing a lot of lobbying and a lot of public relations stuff. So they would get a guy like Hamdi Yulikai out there to say, oh, look, here's a CEO. He's an immigrant. He came to the United States and he started a business. Yet they never made it clear that he's not actually a U.S. citizen. Hamdi Yulikai has never he's not he's not a citizen. He's he's. He's he's working here. He's made a lot of money, but he's not a citizen. And by the way, there's no reason I can. And when we called them to check on that, Michael Leigh, who you mentioned earlier, we called Chobani mm-hmm. Yogurt and we said, we'd like to confirm whether he's a citizen or not. They refused to comment, <laughs> which is a hmm. little weird if you think about it. It's a little weird. Right. So, right. so this this lobbying that goes on, I saw it in Twin Falls. 
I, I went to about half a dozen city council meetings. I never once saw a refugee at one of those city council meetings in the audience. They were not part of the community. But when the refugee pro- program was being threatened and talked about, then they showed up, right? Then they showed up. And right. they were brought right. in by the people running the refugee program. So right. is that, that, that's something you've seen around the country, right? That's a, that's a common right. tactic, correct? Absolutely. They're using the refugees as pawns is what it is. I mean, some of these refugees are, in fact, wonderful people. There's no question about it. And some of them, it, it, they will make wonderful American citizens. No question about it. But these, these agencies, I mean, when we had our big public meeting in my county, that I helped organize because back in 2007, but it was put on officially, and even the State Department sent its top two ladies. The refugee contractor, Church World Service, wanted to bring in a bunch of refugees. They wanted to parade them in. Basically, it was a way of shaming the Americans who might be in there saying that they didn't want this program in their city. Um, And we refused. I said, no, they're not going to be brought in here. You're using them um, as political props. And uh, so we didn't have them in the meeting, but that is in fact what they do. It's a, it's just one of their shaming things that they like to do to people like us who really only have questions about two things, main things. One is economics. Can we afford to be doing this? Because these refugees are extremely expensive. Um, they go on welfare as soon as they're here. That's part of the program. They get all sorts of services. Um, they don't work some work and some many larger numbers don't work or they get little part-time jobs and so on and so forth. They do not majorly benefit the economy. Um, And then there's the security issue that everyone is concerned about. Um, And the question is some countries we're letting refugees in here. We don't even know who they are. Let me just mention the Somalis for a minute. We've been bringing Somalis for 30 years. For what, for what reason? We didn't break Somalia. They used to tell us that, well, we broke Iraq, so we were responsible for those people. We didn't break Somalia. And yet, 30 years later, we're still bringing Somalis in at an enormous rate. Um, and it makes no sense. The Somalis are going back for little visits home to Somalia. So how, how persecuted could they possibly be if they're tra- making trips back home to visit family and friends in Somalia? It's insane. Well, yeah, and there's anyway. a lot to say about Somalia. We're talking to Ann Corkin right now from the website Refugee Resettlement Watch, and we'll have more with Ann just right after this incredibly short break. No false modesty, please, Lee. Forget the Pulitzers. You know, you should be getting a, a, a global prize for what you've been doing because it, it's really something that nobody else has done, and, and you're really leading the way. Radio Stranahan. You're listening to Radio Stranahan. If you want to call in, the number is 619-924-0786. The number again, 619-924-0786. We're talking to Ann Corkin from Refugee Resettlement Watch. And you brought up the Somalians. You know, there's a tremendous amount uh, to unpack there as well. The Somalians, for instance, in Minnesota, in in Minneapolis, that's the biggest uh, settle, biggest number of ref- Somalians outside of Somalia, mm-hmm. basically, in, in the country. And a lot mm-hmm. of them, for instance, have joined ISIS. Dozens and dozens have gone over to join al-Qaeda, al-Shabaab, and now ISIS, uh, have literally left the Twin Cities to go over there. And, and I noticed that. I didn't know much about that um, until it was January 1st, two years ago, when a building suddenly blew up in Minneapolis, 
There was an explosion. Uh, people were killed. And it was in that Somalian neighborhood. All I knew was that mm-hmm. a building had blown up. And mm-hmm. that story has been completely buried by the media. Like almost nobody has talked about it. And the fact that that building blowing up happened, for one thing, the same day that there was also a multiple uh, attack in Somalia that night. So the building blew up that morning. There's a multiple attack in Somalia that night. And that the police, first off, Department of Homeland Security was on the scene. You, you remember that that story, right? I do. I do. Sure you, do. So, so nobody reported it. on it. And it, and in fact, they, uh, you, you did. <laughs> but but, well, no, but the media... Yeah, com- and, yeah, com- no, yeah go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. No, well, no, no, I was going to say... That, that, the Judicial Watch did not drop the ball on this, and they are still working on this. They actually sent an investigator out to, you know, Judicial Watch that just exposed all of Hillary's email stuff, um, has has a guy working on this. So, um, I mean, of course, he's not the media, but um, it, there is something very suspicious about this whole, that whole explosion thing and the way it was swept under the, under the rug. I mean, they do this all the it time was, on all these cases. Yeah, the, the thing that I reported at the time that no one – uh, else reported, but it was obvious, is that there was a police officer on the scene who was there about two or three minutes before the explosion. He was inside that building, and he didn't smell any gas or anything like that. And yet they, they're claiming, well, it was probably a gas explosion. But I also interviewed, and, and this was all on audio. I, I audio taped the interviews. I also interviewed someone from the gas company who said absolutely it was not a gas explosion, and they explained why. And we know that Department of Homeland Security was there. We know that for a fact. And yet suddenly there's no, there's no answer on what happened. Um, and like you said, so it's good that Judicial Watch is still on it. But have you, what has been the media response to this refugee situation? When you look at – you talked about the government response and the sort of the – NGO response, these organizations like the Catholic Charities or like Lutheran Social Services. How do you think the media has done in covering the refugee situation? (laughs) Well, actually, I I have to laugh sometimes now because when I first started this in 2007, I used to joke about all the media reports were about how refugees see their first snow. (laughs) And, you know, in other words, all this African refugee came and they saw their first snowflake and they were so excited and blah, 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 blah. And that's the kind of reporting that that happened on refugees. And Gradually, though, I have seen, and I'm not talking about now, we're not talking about the mainstream mainstream, but gradually I've seen the word refugee now coming up more and more. I never thought, I've said to friends, when it when last fall, when it really, I mean the previous fall in, in November after the terror attacks in Paris and everything, um, uh, the word refugee was a bad word in the media. And I was very surprised at that, that the, I used to joke that the R word was now being spoken on TV. I never thought I'd see the day where the R word would be spoken in, in terms of, in, in negative terms, I should say. So, but, but, you know, they're not, I, I was just thinking about, there's one example, ABC did a really good piece 
on those Iraqi refugee terrorists arrested in Kentucky now doing life in prison for a terror attack, for, for planning terrorism abroad. They weren't planning a terror attack here. They were planning to send weapons abroad. And actually, ABC did a really big piece on it, um, much to my surprise. But for the most part, no. We don't even see – you know what we don't see, which I find very frustrating? We see very little about the refugee, I call it, invasion of Europe even on Fox. I mean, you don't see pictures of the, you might see occasional story about a boat being swamped in the Mediterranean and, you know, people losing their lives, but you don't see virtually anything um, about the refugee invasion, so to speak, of Europe. Well, and that's that's an interesting point, because that's one of the things I bring up all the time. When I get attacked for the reporting I've done on this, uh, they'll say things like, you know, well, you focus on the assault in Twin Falls and really you know, there's not that many uh, assaults. And one of the things I, I raise the point of, I'm like, well, I'm not saying that there's that many, but there's not that many refugees relative to the population. And I said, now, the, the, do, do I have to wait until we reach European-style numbers? Do I have to wait until there's really big numbers to point out that there's pretty clearly a cultural problem? And even when you talk about the sexual assaults, for instance, like I covered at Twin Falls, um, for some reason, I, I've had, you know, reporters who are, you know, relatively intelligent people um, jump in and say, well, why, you know, why are you bringing this up? Why are you talking about this? And why are you, why are you saying that there's a, 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 a problem with Muslims and rape? And I just pointed out, I said, look, can we agree that there's clearly a problem with women for Islamic culture, that they don't treat women particularly well, <laughs> that that you know they're and not allowed they to drive, they get well, they uh, they change the subject. The, the the reporter I spoke to about this, I went into detail, and I just said, look, women, I think it's obvious women don't get treated well. And then when you look at what happened to the reporter Laura Logan when she was sexually yeah. assaulted, mm-hmm. covering e- Egypt, Tahrir Square, and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. I'm like, I I don't understand. So. It quickly turned into well, it changed the subject, but um, you, you, well, you know, I, you, I think you, the you, reason. Yeah, no, no, go ahead, Anne. Go ahead. No, I was going to sort of change this. No, not change the subject, but but add one more case, and that is this latest news in South Dakota about this Somali who made advances sexually touched a woman and now he's been um, convicted of a crime and the media out there in South Dakota didn't even publish a thing about this story man the man was arrested and the woman was a special needs woman who couldn't communicate even properly she was at a home for for for, for people with special needs and um, and then a Somali refugee who just showed up in town to work at the meat plant uh, you know, is wandering around the streets of Aberdeen, South Dakota, and sees her and goes up to her and makes advances. And um, so, so he was arrested, he was indicted, and he was found guilty. And the newspaper said not a word. I think it's really quite stunning. Well, so, and that's a story I'm yes, going to be covering and, soon at, at at Breitbart. Yeah, and and it it really reminds me of the other sexual assault case that happened in uh, Twin Falls, Idaho. That I covered, where there was similar, a man who very was, similar. Who was where he was he was arrested for uh, molesting a retarded woman, and the case was dropped. The case was completely dropped, and the thing they immediately asked for 
was respect to the victim and please don't contact the victim's family or, or write about it, basically. Um, I want to talk about the specifics of the South Dakota case, but let's, I just want to get into the idea, the broad idea of, you know, we talk about the problem at a, at a federal level, but the thing I've noticed, and t- tell me if this rings true for you, is that people are really fighting this at the local level. It seems like the local politicians at a city and state level are just as bad on the issue of, I'll, I'll call it bad, just as bad. They're not interested in listening to this, their citizens at all on this issue. Is that what you found? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And for for a couple of reasons, in some towns, and mine probably was an example, they were probably silent just because of political correctness and fear. There wasn't a big money involvement. But in some of these towns, there's big money in this refugee program. These refugees are, in, especially in these meatpacking towns like Aberdeen, the refugees are there to supply labor. Or the Chobani yogurt situation out in um, Twin Falls, the refugees are there to supply labor. Um, the politicians are getting, I'm convinced, getting campaign contributions from the big meat pack or, or whatever. And, um, and, and, and then there's developers who are going to build low-income housing for the refugees. And, and, uh, and there's used car salesmen that are going to sell them cars because the Chamber of Commerce is almost always in support of this program. And um, so, yeah, this, uh, the, and so on the local level, these, the regular folks saying, hey, what are you doing to our town? This is crazy. We're having increased crime and we have cultural clashes going on and so on and so forth, not to mention the fact that maybe some of our people might like to work at these plants. And uh, and so so the politicians seem to be in on it everywhere, almost everywhere. And when I traveled around the, the Midwest and the West this summer, I spent 30 days on the road, put 6,000 miles on the car, seeing, seeing many of these spots. Um, I, I told the pe- local people, you've got to get rid of these mayors. That's where it's got to start. Of course, now Trump is hopefully going to take care of some of it, but um, they've got to get rid of the mayor. Somehow the, these towns have been captured, so to speak. No, they haven't. And, and in Twin Falls, for instance, because that's a story I, I know very well, the, the mayor is literally the head of Chamber of Commerce and has been for, for many, many years. And you get this very, very interesting uh, alliance between what I will call do-gooder liberals who are typically in it for the politically correct reasons, right? They, they, they want to mm-hmm. do it. And then chamber, or chamber they of want Republicans. Voters. Mm-hmm. Right. That's another factor as well. Yeah. I I'm convinced of that. How, how convinced are you that part of this is a effort on the part of the Democrats to change the voter makeup in rural areas where you don't yes. really need to bring in a lot of people uh, to change the the complexion of a of a place. Right. Oh, absolutely. I'm convinced of that. That's what they're they're going to do. They're just trying to break down communities to make them sort of multicultural, diverse, and then they're going to get Democrat voters out of this whole thing because because not only to save Catholic charities, use an example. Um, bring in the refugee they then get extra federal money to go to help the refugees get through the process to become citizens so they're they're they have they in other words they they control the refugee who really 
um, has nobody else to turn to, all the way through the process to citizenship. So, of course, they're going to end up being Democrat voters. That's part of it, too. And there's something happens to community. And and that's, of course, what was partly behind the Gang of Eight as well. That's why these Republicans that were supporting the Gang of Eight, I mean, I think they're just – there were they're going to kill the Republican Party if they'd kept it up because most of the immigrants that they would legalize are going to become Democrat voters. So, yeah, that's definitely going on. The community changes. Once you bring in a certain number of of, of immigrants and you bring in and the do-gooder people who who think they're just, you know, helping the, the, the poor people of the earth by helping them, um, it changes the complexion of these cities. And eventually, I mean, you only have to look at, take, take North Carolina, for example, which is a big refugee resettlement state. And it's changed, where South Carolina, which has hardly taken any refugees, is still conservative. Two states side by side, one with tons of refugees. And with the refugees come other immigrant populations, you know, because there's all sorts of uh, things set up for to make it more comfortable for immigrants to live in those particular places. So, yeah, they're and changing you notice the population. In, yeah, and, and in places like Twin Falls, for instance, the – Immigrant population is joining an illegal immigrant population. And part of what I saw in Twin Falls was you had these uh, dairy farms. The big industry up in Twin Falls is dairy mm-hmm. farming. That's why Chobani. Mm-hmm. Chobani's there because they have a, a business that processes the milk, right? Milk. Other businesses <laughs> up there are Glanbia, which is a cheese company. They're up there. Cliff Bar has moved up there. And the dairy industry is – uh, substantially illegal aliens working in the dairy industry. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. What, what had happened was the illegal aliens felt safe that they weren't going to be deported. And mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the past few years under Obama, they, they feel very comfortable that they're not going to be deported. And so what happened was the illegal aliens started to ask for better hours and working conditions and more pay, which, by the way, is perfectly logical, right? That makes sense, mm-hmm. right? They, have, mm-hmm. they, they, weren't, they weren't able to do that before. They were being abused, really, to some extent mm-hmm. because they were there illegally. Now they were mm-hmm. saying, like, well, we don't want to live. I have video of it, and they, they live mm-hmm. in housing that's literally I, – I, I have video of this from the air of uh, housing that the people who work in the dairy industry live in. And there's this mm-hmm. one mobile home, and it's literally about, I'm not joking, about 150 feet from a gigantic pile of manure, like a uh, mountain of, of mm-hmm. manure. So you go, okay, well, I, I understand mm-hmm. why they might want better working conditions. So then what happens is they bring these refugees in. And what's the position of the refugees? You've studied this. The refugees are, are required if you get a refugee, it's not just a matter of hours, but they're much more controllable as employees. Is that correct? Oh, sure. Absolutely. They can't go home. But let me just mention this. Refugees, um, I have had refugees contact my blog who were so unhappy they got here and they did not know. They thought the streets were paved with gold and everything was going to be, and they want to go back to where they came from in the world. And there's no way to go home because they can't afford the plane ticket. They're definitely more controlled by by the by and through these contractors, they're controlled. Yeah, and it's one of the situations where I think that when people talk about the do-gooder aspects of this, they never seem to actually mention 
that in a lot of cases, this has not worked out at all well. They have people, you know, I know this from Twin Falls, who were doctors in Iraq, let's say. They were, they were an Iraqi mm-hmm. physician. And now they come mm-hmm. here and they're told, well, you have to go work at the yogurt factory. And mm-hmm. uh, they're not happy about it. They're, no. They're not I know thrilled they're about not. it. Yeah. Right, right. Well, but in America, though, it, it, the, the problem is, but nobody probably told them this, that in America it takes a long time to be recertified as a doctor. You have to go through a lot tra- of training and licensing and all sorts of stuff, and probably nobody told them that. That's why, you know, I, I have a, I have a, some sympathy for the people. When, I, when they first came to – refugees first came to my county. It wasn't just these Russian, Turkish Muslims. There were a few Africans, and I don't even know where in Africa they were from. But they were placed in the worst slum building. Once I got involved in this and started hearing the inside from the police and everything in the in the city of Hagerstown, they had been placed in the, the worst drug-infested slum buildings we had in our city because some landlord got hooked up with the Virginia Council of Churches and, you know, and, and got the refugees placed in these apartments on these subsidized housing and stuff like that. But in slums, I felt sorry for the refugees. They didn't, they didn't, winter came and people at the local junior college had to find them coats and blankets because they didn't have enough, they weren't supplied with enough warm things to keep in when winter came. So one of the things I try to tell people is have some sympathy for the refugees. It's the real, the real problem is that the government agencies doing this with the help of these so-called Christian religious charities um, they're the problem. That's the problem. That's that's exactly right. We have Ann Corcoran for just a few more minutes here. We'll take one quick break. Then we'll be back to finish up with Ann Corcoran talking about this amazing refugee resettlement story that the media really has frankly buried. More right after this. Uh, Lee Stranahan, Braveheart investigative reporter who is, well, just knows everything. It's all good. Do you watch the news and find yourself thinking, I can do better than this? If you know how bad the mainstream media is and you want to make media that's better than they are, I started Citizen Journalism School just for you. CitizenJournalismSchool.com will give you the information and allow you to sign up for the free mailing list and get our free course, Building Your Own Media Empire. But I want to tell you about a program that is for people who are serious about a career in journalism. If you really want to make a difference, we have a program called the Citizen Journalism School Mentorship Program, where you work directly with me, one-on-one and in small group settings. And the best part is it's a fraction of the cost of journalism school. Go to citizenjournalismschool.com right now to get more information. CitizenJournalismSchool.com. You're listening to Radio Stranahan. Call us. 619-924-0786. You're listening to Radio Stranahan. If you want to call in with our last remaining minutes with Ann Corcoran here. And so I'm really interested in uh, in how you you really do have the leading blog on this. Um, you know, when I said uh, in the intro here that you've become a leading voice in this, really your your site has become a go-to site on this. And so you're you're sort of combining journalism and activism. Is that right? Is that fair to say? 
Yes, yes. Well, I think this uh, it's this whole blogging thing is is a whole different kind of animal, so to speak. <laughs> um, I try to. I'm one of the things that's happening now is because this refugee, the people concerned about refugees. Um, it, the numbers are expanding. There's a grassroots network in the United States. Called, we call ourselves the Pockets of Resistance throughout the United States. But I try to stay on the side of kind of journalism. But, you know, bloggers, well, as you know, bloggers are more like parasites <laughs> that that take other people's work and, and riff on it. It's sort of like what R- Rush Limbaugh has been doing for, you know, decades, which is take a news story and run his mouth on it. And that's all blogging is. So it's really a lot of fun. You get to pull, you know, different things together. And But over time, because I've been doing it for 10 years, I have, you know, the, um, what do they call it, the institutional memory or whatever they call it, um, to, to pull different threads together um, around some new item that's just happened. But, but yes, I do consider myself an activist too. That's where my heart is as a grassroots activist. But um, because there's only so many hours in the day, I try to focus on the journalism aspect of it, which is to get the, the news out. Educated people then will, will, you know, do what needs to be done, but they need to be educated. Yeah, and it really seems like, you know, when I look at the media, they, they're activists too. They just won't admit it. You know, a lot of times when, yeah. they, when they when they report well, on this stuff, they clearly have an agenda, but they just don't want to talk about what their agenda is. Right. And the beauty of what I'm doing is I can just this is my opinion. I'm going to say it and I can, you know, give facts. I'm really, though, very careful about being factual as best as best I can be. Do you know what I mean? I, and, and I try not to, you know, to blow things up out of proportion or whatever, but I, but um, but in fact, I get to give my opinion every day when I get up. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. Now, by the way, I've written about eight thousand posts over the ten years. Well, yeah, that's amazing. I'm sorry. I mean, it, but like I say, anybody who has not been to your site, they need to go there because when I say you're the you're the authority on this, you really are. I mean, just the amount of material, and it comes it come, You know, what's interesting is it comes up in my research all the time um, when I'm searching Good. for a story. Uh, when I when I'm doing my initial research, your site comes up often <laughs> as as the only other person who's written about um, stuff. There's a group called Unbound Philanthropy, and I did a big piece on them for Breitbart. And you were literally the only other person I found who'd ever written about them. And they're a big, they're a major funder of uh, open borders immigration groups. And I was kind of stunned that nobody else had written about them. And when I looked into it, you were the only other person who'd done it. And I'm like, well, there's right. Lynn again. Um, well, that's great. Uh, that's great. Can I, let me just make a little pitch to people for what they really should do with their activism. And that is to find something that they really care about and focus on it. Too often I see this with our with the Tea Party activists and stuff, which I was part of our local Tea Party and stuff. They get into too many issues and, and somebody's calling and saying, you know, write a letter on this, call your legislator on that, and pretty soon their heads are spinning and they don't see that they're accomplishing anything. I really tell people, just pick one thing, work on it a little bit every day, make that your contribution to saving America. And, and eventually you will make an impact because – you focused and you've really, you know, bored into the issue rather than just do all sorts of superficial things on 10 different issues. Yeah, no, I 100% agree on that. I think if people, you know, I think at, at Breitbart, like I have things that I consider my beat, you know, and um, mm-hmm. they they all revolve around central stuff. 
but I don't try to be, you know, we have, uh, you know, our national security editor, she knows like what's going on with the Philippine president and the drug. And I don't know anything about that. Like I know, (laughs) I know what I've read, you know, I just don't know anything about that. But when it comes to an issue that I know, I try to know it uh, really deeply. I try to know it as well as anybody. And I think that's mm-hmm. great advice for people to do. And if, yes. if if refugee resettlement's not your issue, then great. You know, I mean, become a resource in in you know whatever, whatever you whatever it is. Yeah. Right. No, right. And and then you will accomplish something, and you'll feel good about it later, as opposed to sort of just burning out from just too many different issues. But let me just make one other key point too. I don't think there's anything as important as immigration and this refugee issue as part of that whole immigration question, because we can fiddle around with Obamacare over the years. It's not going to kill us one way or another. We can fiddle around with all these other issues, but we can't fiddle around once they change the demographic makeup of America. We're done. We're really done, and I think well, Europe is done. I don't see how Germany ever recovers, ever. Well, and, and the thing the thing is interesting, too, is immigration really touch. You can't name an issue that immigration doesn't touch on. So you mentioned Obamacare just right. as an example. Uh, mm-hmm. Immigration, as Michael Patrick Leahy's reporting has pointed out, touches on uh, the health situation in America. You mentioned mm-hmm. you, right. you homeschool. We, we, my, my wife and I have homeschooled for about 20 years, and – one of the reasons we homeschool is because we didn't like the things we saw in the educational system, including in California, right. that our first grader was in a classroom with about six or seven different languages, which just – I don't know how you can learn. <laughs> in a, right. You, you know, if I, if I took an electronics class with six really brilliant people, but they all spoke a different language – it's not working well for anybody. We can't communicate. Right. And uh, right. They'd be, everyone would be better off in their own class at that point. Right. So it really is interesting. And so uh, any, any last so, words for people? We've only got a couple minutes left. Yeah, no, no. I just want to make one more key point, and that is that Donald Trump has to remember what got him to, to where he is today, and it's the immigration issue, I'm convinced. And he's got to get back there, and he's got to not be pulled off on 20 different things. Obamacare is going to take a, t- a while to work out, and so are these trade issues and so on and so forth. He's got to get back to immigration, and he's got to do something about this refugee program. Within, I give him four weeks after he's uh, inaugurated on the 20th to stop this program, to pause the program in any case. But immigration is the key to all of it, and the rest can be fixed over time, but immation has to happen now. I mean, we have to control immigration now. And what specifically would you like what specifically would you like him to do in the first four weeks? I want him to pause. I think the best thing to do would be to pause the entire refugee resettlement program. It would not be unprecedented because we did pause it after 9-11. We brought in only a fraction of the refugees in the year after 9-11 because we were worried. It it wouldn't hurt to pause the whole program. Instead of getting into, okay, well, we don't want to bring the Syrians or we don't want to bring the Somalis, and then then people say, well, the Syrians are really in Jordan. They're not in Syria, so on and so forth. So rather than to get into all the – just pause the whole program, and if Congress wants a program, let Congress reform the refugee program. 
And um, there's lots of ways to do that. Um, of course, some people would like to see it trashed completely. I don't see us completely getting out of um, refugees. but um, And sever our ties with the United Nations because the United Nations is picking our refugees. They, they can just get out of our business on the, in terms of refugees. So, yeah, he's got, in my mind, he's got four weeks to get it done to pause the program. <laughs> and then we'll go from there to reform or whatever. Well, that's that's great, and let's see if we can get the uh, get that word into uh, Steve Bannon's ear and the, the Trump's administration's ear by focusing on what you what you think should be done. Because again, you're really an acknowledged expert, and I I, I told you Steve Steve has has uh, had high praise for you every time we've talked publicly and privately. Thanks very much for taking the time. Okay, great. I enjoyed t- talking to you, Lee, and good luck. Um, with your upcoming radio show and your new journalism school and all that stuff. Sounds cool. Thanks a lot, Ann. Take care. Ann Corkin, everybody. You've been listening to Radio Stranahan, and uh, that's it for today. Tomorrow we'll be back with more stuff. Really great, great interview, and I hope you got a lot out of it today on Radio Stranahan. Shining the light of truth on liberal America. Hey, that's a bright light. Radio Stratahan.